0: This is an Irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello, and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. Before we get to this conversation i had with brad onishi last week i want to share some other news that also broke last week which is that i'm writing a book uh it's completely wild to me that this is actually happening and i am extremely grateful for the opportunity the book which is titled exvangelical and beyond will demonstrate how the explosion of exvangelical and post evangelical content and perspectives over the last five years is actually part of a longer history of people leaving white evangelicalism. It'll also touch on why new technologies like social media have been both instrumental and inflammatory in that process, and how a post-Trump, post-January 6th environment demands the end of white evangelical hegemony. I'm extremely grateful to Convergent for helping me make this project a reality. Publishing a book has been a lifelong dream and a privilege, this is a privilege I absolutely do not take for granted. When I think back on this, um, this conversation you're about to hear with Brad Onishi is really sort of a one-year-on retrospective of what we've experienced since the 2020 election, the 2020 election, and everything that's happened since then, the establishment of the Big Lie, the January 6th ins- insurrection, and really this podcast and everything that uh, that has followed since Really happened within the shadow of November 8th, 2016, when Trump was elected president, and um, it's just absolutely wild what what has occurred over these last five years. And Brad and I touch on that. Uh, we have a just a, a conversation about some of the things that have been in the news recently, and I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, Brad is of course. One of the hosts of Straight White American Jesus, which is also an Reverend Media podcast. Um, We'll get straight into this. Uh, I should be establishing another more routine release schedule. Uh, This was slotted for last Friday, but I actually had honestly just some computer problems (laughs) um, from Friday through today. So I apologize for the late delay and hope to be back on a more regular release cadence here through the end of the year as well as looking forward into 2022. If you want to stay abreast of anything that is happening uh, with this podcast or with my writing, the best place to do that is through my newsletter, the Post Evangelical Post. 25% of any paid subscription is donated to Organizations and individuals that serve communities that have been harmed by white evangelicalism. You can learn more about that at postevangelicalpost.substack.com. You can follow me on Twitter at BR Chastain, uh, on Instagram and TikTok at BR Chastain. Underscore. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everybody, welcome back to Exvangelical. I have a repeat guest, a serial guest for this show uh, on. I'm, <laughs> you can already hear him laughing a little bit in the background. I have with me a fellow irreverent podcaster and one of the hosts of Straight White American Jesus, Brad Onishi. Bradley, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Blake. Sorry for laughing when you said serial guest. I just <laughs> I was I was ima- I wanted to start in on a fake serial ad just to like <laughs> uh, really set this uh, this interview off on a on a really cheesy. Foot, but i did not do it so this ambiguous criminal trial is brought to you by squarespace
0: <laughs> squarespace is where everyone goes for 100 dollars a year <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is going to be a loose episode everybody we're sort of just recording this off the cuff <laughs> but but brad um We've the last time I actually had you on my show. I've been on Straight Wad American Jesus with you and with your co host Dan yep. um, throughout this year. Um, but the last time I had you on Exvangelical was actually as part of the first season of Powers and Principalities. Um, I had you on as a guest, and then I also had you on as this sort of post election um, analysis segment that we did. And at the time, I'm pretty sure the election hadn't even been called for Biden yet. We were like, it was that weird week where everyone is just glued to their couches and, you know, doom scrolling, like, exponentially, trying to understand the state of things. Um, eventually, the fast forward a year, um, almost, almost a year to the day, um, and... Biden was elected, but before we got to that period, there was the insurrection, um, which changed everything. Um, You wrote in the New York Times a couple weeks later about how that insurrection really was the beginning of a creation myth. And now I I think you've been proven right um, that that was this uh, this sea change moment that we now call the big lie. Um, and we're sort of seeing other things come to light like uh, post-election analysis of this Virginia race that just happened and this entire year of Biden trying to push forth his agenda um, and mansion and cinema being internally like within the party being obstructive. Uh, and throughout all of this, we can't forget, the involvement of white evangelical leaders and Christian nationalists in pushing the GOP agenda. Um, your show is, is very keyed into current events and politics and how religion uh, and culture relates to that, uh, as is much of your work. And why I thought it was a great time to check in with you uh, was really just to get your assessment of where we are now. Um, I sort of touched on some of the, you know, some of the big things that have happened over the last year, but looking at where we are in November, 2021 versus November, 2020, how are you, what's your sort of assessment in this moment about, about where we are?
1: You know, I, one of the words that I've been, I've had in my head, this week is interregnum, which mm. is just a great college <laughs> college word, and it's a great, great SAT word, right? So inter, yeah. like between or among, and regnum, like reign. And the question for me is, whose interregnum are we living through? So is this a situation where we had eight years of Obama, we had the unprecedented and unforeseen years of Trump, mm-hmm. Biden is elected in this, uh, overwhelmingly strange and contentious to say the least election. And we're now on the road to build back better and whatever that means, you know, for the next four, you know, 2024, after that, 2028, whether it's Biden or Harris or anyone else. And we're gonna look back on these four years of Trump as this uh, nadir of the of the early 21st century for the United States. Or is it a situation where What happened with Trump was a populist um, uprising in American politics that was fueled by white grievance and resentment. Mm -hmm. That The Biden victory, uh, narrow in terms of the electoral college, is now the eye of the storm. And what happened in Virginia, uh, what happened in New Jersey in a different way we can talk about, um, is a sign that... The Biden years are going to be the years that we were in the eye of the storm. And what comes in 2024 is another Trump presidency or something like it. Mm -hmm. And we're then on the road to something truly scary, even beyond what happened in the first Trump presidency. So which and who, how is the interregnum going to be framed when history tells the story? That's my question right now. Yeah,
0: that's a really good way to put it because, um, I don't know about you, and I, I, and I know you. I still feel like we are we moved beyond the insurrection itself far too quickly. <laughs> um, the the gravity of that moment, just because of, yeah, we were for the most part still in a pre-vaccine sort of world. Most of us didn't have access to it at that point. We were still primarily, um if we were adhering to CDC guidance and things like that, we were staying home as much as possible and doing all of that. Um, but at the same time, there was this, this desire, this rush to return to normalcy as if that could be something that could be achieved. Um, and do you think, do you think that we'll ever really see the sort of reckoning, um, that should that that moment actually deserves, I, I suppose. Like just in because it's becoming clear in the way that McCarthy and Trump are trying to blockade discovery, just just regular um, run of the mill discovery. Um, that there's the that this in, in, implicates. I was searching for the word. Sorry, implicates some people within today's GOP that are still lawmakers.
1: So, uh, so I'm writing a book on, on the history of white Christian nationalism, and the final chapters really lead up to January 6th and after, right? And so I've been thinking about this uh, a lot lately. And one of the things that occurs to me is we could have had a situation, right? We could live in, a, in an America. We could, we could have a sliding doors movie uh, that I'm sure no one would watch because it'd be a world overwhelmingly depressing, but still, we could have it like, if we wanted <laughs> We could see if Gwyneth is available and, uh, you know, we could do sliding doors where we we get to January 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 2021. And Lindsey Graham and Kevin McCarthy uh, and Mitch McConnell stay on the line that this was a unilaterally condemnable insurrection attempt. And there is no room for discussion about it. So those guys stay on that track. OK. And then we have the uh, the second impeachment of Trump where Republicans turn on him, and he's actually, right, it actually uh, carries forth. Mm-hmm. Then we have the likes of Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Goser and Louis Gomer, right? All of the ones who were, who were reportedly involved in planning meetings with the insurrectionists, the eventual insurrectionists, uh, investigated and, and prosecuted and expelled from Congress. We could have a situation where uh, Fox News deplatforms anybody who's not willing to condemn the the, uh, insurrection, right? Like you can imagine a scenario in the United States where that happens and you see the insurrection as beyond the pale, that if you're gonna start talking insurrection stuff at a barbecue or at church or in any polite company, even in red America, that you're in danger of kind of being on the fringe and getting dirty looks and please don't talk that way around my kids and get out of here, okay? Mm We don't have that. What we have is a situation where as soon as the McCarthys and the Lindsey Graham's realized that the mob was going to stay with Trump, January 6th became the, the founding event of MAGA Nation's new movement. It's the founding myth now. And so now January 6th is that, that thing that people look back on. And they call Ashley Babbitt the first patriot martyr, right? Uh in the MAGA movement, uh, you know, after January 6th.
0: And that's not projection that's not that's actually what that group
1: calls her that's a direct quote that's, okay. that's not i'm not paraphrasing that's a direct right, quote
0: right i wanted to make that
1: clear that wasn't yeah yeah um that's the, that's, the, they, that's how they talk about it <laughs> exactly no exactly right um uh, mm-hmm. and and so we have representatives who are calling ashley babbitt right uh uh an unfairly in an, an unfair uh Treated unfairly an innocent woman. We have the jailed rioters being treated as political prisoners by Matt Gates and Paul Gosar and other representatives, right? We have a situation where uh Tucker Carlson and others are are labeling January 6th a false flag, that maybe the Bidens or the Democrats or the whoever's, the George Soros, uh, created January 6th as a way to invent a reason to persecute the right. And they're saying that, you know, it's it's similar to the new war on terror right? Here's what I'm driving at. We're not going to get an unflinching and honest treatment of January 6th for a long time in this country. It's not going to happen. And to me, that's where the danger lies, is if you turn it into uh, the foundation for a MAGA myth, a a, a creation story for a new political movement, for a nation within a nation, Mm -hmm. you have a situation where the 74 million people who voted for Trump feel as if they are justified in getting revenge. And so we have new data out from PRRI this week that says, right, scary percentages of Republicans and Fox News listeners are willing to engage or think we need to engage in violence in order to set the country back on the right place. We have other polling that says like something like 78% of GOP voters think the election was stolen. So the big lie inspires January 6th And what has happened is not the shrinking or condemnation of that since then, but the growing uh, acceptance and expansion of it into all corners of conservative America, leading to a place where we now, uh, you know, if the election was today, Trump would be the candidate, period. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And Virginia and and New Jersey are are sending shivers down the spines of anybody who thinks that the Democrats are just on the path to uh, some sort of, um, you know, Biden, uh, Biden years extended that are going to be somewhat different than what we've experienced over the last five. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And what's the, the thing, one of the things that I struggle with is, is just the, um, when it, when it comes to being able to push back against that, um, as you said, there are people on the right that are willing, even if they know better, even if they know that this is a lie. Uh, they they play along. Um, and you have to think about Tucker Carlson uh, and a lot of people on the right who remake themselves as, instead of as elites, they, they remake themselves and present themselves as, as things that they aren't. Um, and Tucker Carlson engaging in this sort of, this, this faux documentary thing that he's planning to do will be incredibly destructive uh, and corrosive. And the thing that that I sort of struggle with is is the way in which um, the way in which the way how we can respond through even our own counteracting media um, and other even political action feels limited in in the way that it can reach those people. It's it still feels as if. Even after the the Trump administration and the way in which we all um, retreated to our camps and and all of that stuff and everything that that, that people uh, uh, sort of claim that we did, uh, I'm not I'm not sure what the alternative is. I'm not sure what other path there is um, because because the right is is extre- is an extremely good opponent <laughs> uh, and. Um, this sort of coalition building that that um, the liberal alternatives offer uh, feels like it. It almost sometimes I, I I already feel like people are already starting to drift off and like yeah. okay I can just go back to scrolling TikTok and <laughs> yeah or whatever um and and not realize that uh, these are the times when when folks double down like the these leaders double down um and that's i I think maybe it's because you and i have this background where we lived in that camp and moved to another one um and i think that is a key insight of people who've left evangelicalism is realizing how freaking serious this is um
1: but i'm not sure what to do with that (laughs) i you know my my take early on in the biden administration was look democrats if you guys go big and you make people's lives better, you have a chance to outpace the messaging, Mm. right? So like, yes, you can listen, you can tune in if you want to Fox News and and Newsmax and listen to them freak out about Mr. Potato Head and Dr. Seuss and uh, all of the big bad others that they invent on a nightly basis, CRT, Mm -hmm. uh, the the border, blah, blah, blah. But if you actually have a, a government that is making your life better through child tax credits, through paid family leave, through uh, you know other means of uh, providing for people, expanding expanding um, Medicare, um, working on prescription drug prices. Okay, if you if you do those things, then you have a chance to outpace the messaging and to say, look, the Democrats might be super evil and this and that, right? But I don't know actually because this happened and this happened and this happened. And my life is qualitatively better. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so there's a chance here to do that. And, I, and you could see the path early on in the Biden administration. Now that leads us to Manchinema, right? Uh, Manchin and Cinema, who have stood in the way of that. And we can talk more about that in a minute. So I think that's that's one. I think two, and this is getting to some recent events, right? So we have uh, this governor's race in Virginia that the, the Democrats lose. And in one sense, it could spell, you could say, hey, this is doom. This is a, a, a foreshadowing of what's to come. Maybe, maybe not, I, and that's a long conversation, right? But you know, who did the Democrats w- run? They ran uh, someone who's who's a former governor of Virginia, an establishment kind of person, right? Um, and somebody who uh, is not going to perhaps excite the young voters of, of uh, Northern Virginia, um, or, or or Richmond, or Wilmington. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Up in Boston, we have the election of Michelle Wu. Michelle Wu is the first woman of color elected to Boston. Uh, to be the mayor of Boston. Mm -hmm. Boston, right, is notoriously a sort of, the history of Boston is one rife with uh, whiteness, let's just put it, let's just put it straight, okay, Um, and to have a woman of color elected there is a big deal, and she's a progressive woman of color, Mm -hmm. right, so the other answer I would say is, you can run people like Michelle Wu, right, you can run people who appeal to the people under 30, who are like, here's what we need, Right. We need to talk about real police reform. We need to talk about real change when it comes to, to climate change. We need to talk about real reform when it comes to housing, right? And income inequality and fill in the blank. Right. And so to me, those two things could and can happen, right? In ways that might A outpace the Republican messaging and B continue the excitement and the, the enthusiasm on the left. Okay. But you know, in all honesty, it's a, it's a pretty open book as to whether or not that's actually going to take place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Say more about that, actually, because I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure whether I have anything
1: to to build off of that. Sure. That's a very good point. Sure. I I guess what I'm getting at is, okay, If you make people's lives better, right, in small town America, Mm -hmm. you can continue to demonize the the Democrats and Tucker Carlson can zoom in at any time he wants. Right. But there are people there who are going to be swayed. Okay. And who are going to find um, that, that the qualitative changes to the fact that they went to CVS and that the medicine that used to cost $250 a month, right, is now $8 a month. Okay. That there's a child tax credit that, that helps them, just pure and simple. That they get help right with child care, that they get help with universal pre-K. All right, I'm a working mom. And you know what? I just got told that my three and four year old, right, uh, gets to go to school for free. And now I don't have to worry about $1,500 a month for childcare. Like we can just talk about issue after issue where you're actually doing things to people that, that says, hey, if you want more of this, continue to vote this way. Right. OK, that's why when mansion and cinema and those and those folks get in the way of these things that, that just really matter to real, like real everyday Americans, I think it matters tremendously. Right. People mm-hmm. care about being able to afford their medicine. People care about whether or not they can safely have their kids go to childcare while they go to work, right? People mm-hmm. care if there's a chance to go to college at an affordable rate and maybe get an associate's degree for free and then move on to another university and so on and so on and so forth. Student loan forgiveness. I can go on and on. Mm-hmm. I think that's a way that you can say, yes, get up there, Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy and tell me why it's a travesty that you know Mr. Potato Head might be, uh, a different gender than you thought or not have a gender or I don't know what okay <laughs> or tell me why doctor seuss is an american hero rather than somebody with a complicated history regarding racism and uh, and all kinds of other propaganda okay sure if if that's what matters to you y'all look silly if there's a party that's actually helping people with their kids and their education and their well-being and their medicine and their health right mm-hmm. but if you're not going to do that democrats okay then you're going to fuck around and find out. And what you're going to find out is that we're going to get more of the scary America you just saw from 2016 to 2020. The other thing is like, look, Stacey Abrams pulled off the impossible in Georgia and that wasn't just her. So don't email me. I know it was millions and millions of people, organizers, different organizations. (laughs) What happened in Georgia was incredible. I'm not trying to be dismissive of anyone. I'm just saying Stacey Abrams at all. Right. There were so many folks involved there. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. so that happens and a whole generation of people in Georgia who had never voted before who had just come of age and voted for the first time were like I believe I believe I believe let's do it because I believe in what these folks are offering me I believe in Raphael Warnock I believe in in John Ossoff. I believe in Stacey Abrams I believe in the Asian American uh, organizers who are at the rallies I believe in the in the women of color who are leading the charge if there are more of those movements there's a chance that even if the QAnon conspiracies and the uh, just unhinged cosmos of conservative conspiracies and myths are still spinning, that you can outnumber them, right? That Georgia was a matter of just out organizing, even in the face of restrictive voting laws and so on and so forth. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How do you do that? You run people like Michelle Wu or others who excite people Right? Who have never voted and don't think the system cares about them. Don't think the system gives one damn about whether or not their lives um, get any better. Right? You run people who you can say, you know what? Yeah, I don't actually think the system cares about me or the government cares about me. I'm 23, and uh, I don't think I'm gonna vote. But you know, look at you know that person over there. They see me. They're talking to me. I think there's a chance here to do something different. All right, I'll do it. Let's go. I'll, I'll get on board, and I'm gonna bring two friends. Okay. You're not going to get there um, with a kind of centrist neoliberal um, run-of-the-mill kind of um, liberal campaign. It's just not going to happen. So those are my two things. Now, right? Is that going to happen? Probably not. Is that you know? Is that going to outstrip the amazing cosmos of conspiracies and myths that Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump, and uh, all the rest are spinning, and all the evangelical megachurch pastors and 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 others are spinning? i'm not gonna no <laughs> I, right. I mean i i don't know I, it's, it's a sort of open question but i'm yeah. not like overwhelming optimistic today about it <laughs> right and and i
0: and if you're wondering you know as you're listening to this this is usually a show about people's uh explorations of faith and things like that this and there i have done episodes with brad and his co-host about that part of his his their journey and um and that's all. That's all there in the back catalog. I think the reason why why this is important and valuable for both of us is because we understand the uh, the role that white evangelicalism has had in constructing this world, um, constructing the this type of political environment. Um, and it's not strictly political, um, but in order to to uh, to not just talk about. Politics, um, but talk more broadly about social conversation. Um, we have seen this way of dismissing and uh, insisting to uh, change the narrative um, about different things within American culture right now because of the creation of this boogeyman of crit- critical race theory. Yeah. Um, but it's also led the thing that has been very effective um i don't want to praise these efforts but they have been effective is by drumming up excitement from that side for local elections Mm -hmm. like school boards and things like that so it gets to to what you're talking about where actually on this side that is conspiratorially minded or um is aligned with christian nationalist views it is getting the support that it needs Um, and essentially reifying it over and over and it does lead that uh it does lead to scary places um and i'm curious what when when you look at that um how do you see that factoring into this broader you know we've been talking national politics um but it does boil down to local local things even whether it's at the voting booth or in a church, um, or any other, uh, common space, like, like a school mm-hmm. where we're seeing these same battles uh, play out. And, um, I probably mentioned on this show, like I'm a, I, I like the media, uh, media theorist, Marshall McLuhan. Mm-hmm. And one of his axioms is, uh, electric man and just modern people live mythically and all at once. <laughs> and I really like that because that's how like everything seems to be imbued with like the importance of, ev- of all things on the line all the time. Um, and coming out, we're still in the midst of a pandemic that definitely still feels that way. <laughs> so um how do how do how are you reading like the interplay of local local politics and the way we see these these see see these ideas spread through the different networks of the right um and take root in churches and in politics
1: yeah so i i know and this will bring us back to, to evangelicalism because i know you know, the first segment was sounded like it was just a, a politics show. So I, I apologize to everybody. No, no, I that. don't think you should apologize. Okay. I,
0: you know, I, I was just, and I'm totally fine with it. That's not something that, uh, it's not always something that we, I talk about within the context of the show, but it's completely valid and it's why I wanted to talk to you about it.
1: <laughs> well, I, but I, I think you hit on, on two things that are really important in terms of the interplay of evangelicalism and politics. One is, um, the right is effective, use the word effective. And I think one of the reasons it is, is because of the in or out dynamic of group formation on the right. And so like, mm-hmm. I think we experience this Blake and maybe in different ways in the, in the evangelical world is if you if you butt up against the group's limits in terms of its views on sex or gender, if you wanna disagree or, or sort of introduce difference or heterogeneity, mm-hmm. you're probably gonna, just gonna find yourself on the way out. Like they're, yeah. you're gonna like, I had somebody the other day tell me that uh, there's always been these great conversations with evangelicalism. Look at like the emergent church and Rob Bell and Brian McLaren. I mean, there was great dissonance there, and I was like, yeah, because <laughs> they weren't allowed to be evangelicals anymore. Like they they were thrown out. I mean, and they chose to leave, of course. But you know what I'm saying? Like, right, absolutely. You know, so that's a, that's a sort of reference to 2003, 2006. You know, evangelicalism. But here's my point is if you extract that into the the right and it, and the GOP and politics in this country, that sense of conformity is there, right? Mitch McConnell doesn't have a, a problem getting two senators to get on board with whatever he's trying to accomplish, okay? Now, is that good? No, because we experienced it. It, it, it. it fuels authoritarianism, right? You either get in line or you leave. I don't want to live in that world, but the word effective there, like the word, use the word effective, is a great descriptor. It's very effective. I think the second thing that you said that to me is so insightful is McLuhan talks about right uh, all, all at the same time. Like everything matters. Okay, mm-hmm. when you're when you're an evangelical, when you're in a high demand religion, you might be LDS, right? You might be a conservative Catholic, you might be Jehovah's Witness. But when you're in a high demand religion, everything matters all the time. Right? You wake yeah. up. I mean, I used to wake up late like, and think, is the rapture going to happen today? Mm-hmm. Should I? Go get ice cream after school, or should I go witness to 10 people? Because it matters. The world could end today, right? <laughs> yeah. So when local politics go on and you're in that mindset as a religious person, it matters. I got to go to this school board meeting because if I don't, the devil-worshipping lizard people might take over my kids' right uh, education. If I don't do this, the whole cosmos might collapse. That's the kind of thinking you get, and it translates into the energy. For the PTA, the school board, the mayor, the local supervisor, the county supervisor, the state legislature. And then you look up, and Catherine Stewart's the best at this, right? You go read Katherine Stewart's books, and you realize, oh, local politics has been dominated by the right in this country for so, so long for that reason. And I think it's because there's an ability to inspire that enthusiasm, enthusiasm because as you just said, everything matters all the time. So yeah. if we don't do this, the world will end you know does that make sense
0: yeah yeah i i mean i think that that it's this it's one of one of many tensions at the heart of conservative evangelicalism uh is and at this point you don't even need the conservative modifier we we both know that like like they pushed out anybody that's liberal from the evangelical camp successfully for the last 150 years (laughs) so um and that's not really an exaggeration. Like there used to be fights and and all that sort of stuff. Um nonetheless, uh, that's one of those tensions is is about through this like eschatology, even though this world's gonna burn, we still gotta fight for it. <laughs> like because one way or another, Jesus is coming. Whether <laughs> whether whether the the li- the living room is is Uh, of our of earth itself is picked up or not (laughs) whether it's in good order uh doesn't really matter he's still coming and we gotta we gotta look busy (laughs) and so yeah i mean that that is a very animating force but it um it is such a to me it's an interesting um it is an interesting thing when we're already seeing uh element like people starting to analyze the the way in which voters like white voters started voting for yonkin i mean i don't i don't know if i'm pronouncing his name right i don't necessarily care um but uh the the way in which that sensitivity just because even though they may have voted for biden less than a year ago that they're living in the moment they're they're voting emotionally and they've been made uncomfortable as if that, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of hand wringing. There's going to be a lot of that, but, but I'm, emotion, is something that evangelicalism speaks to, um, yeah. yeah. And this sort of, this this sort of world and and in, in which it played a substantial part in forming, um, that's a motivating factor yeah <laughs> obviously well, it's always been a motivating factor but but the the mechanisms um that are in place politically culturally all align with that sort of uh expression
1: i agreed and you know even its it's funny i asked this is another like throwback i i met stan grenz one time i don't know if anybody out there knows who stan grenz is but he was a an evangelical theologian and he died in um in the early 2000s and I, I was right beginning to deconstruct, like, you know, and I was trying to figure out, like, what does it even mean to be an evangelical? Like, should maybe I should just leave evangelicalism and like go be an Episcopalian or go be, you know, mm-hmm. United Methodist or, or something else. And I asked him, like, what is evangelical to you after all these years? And he was like, it's an energy, right? Evangelicals have energy. They're motivated, right? The and And what he was trying to say, and I'm not, this is not me, but what he was trying to say is like, you, know, you may have an Episcopalian who goes to who goes to church on Sunday. And, and maybe that's the only time they thought about being a Christian that week, right? And again, that I'm not trying to caricature anyone out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's hit, fine. Say hit, say what you want to say. <laughs> well, I but his and this is Stan Grenz. And I, I've had other evangelicals say this to me as well, is like, you know, when you're an evangelical, every random Tuesday, right, is a day where you're going to be thinking about the death and resurrection of Jesus and so on and so forth, right? The energy you're talking about and the emotion is there in evangelicalism, but, and and it's also motivated by fear, right? So we could, we could talk for two hours about QAnon and how QAnon is just this beautiful repository of, of fear mongering in terms of like mm-hmm. devil worshiping, child devouring people who are going to get you. So if you're not an evangelical, that's another way to get you into the mix of motivated and, and enthused to come vote in a certain way. The other is CRT, and so if if we can for a minute, I'll just say, right, in Virginia, you have this, this loss uh, 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 of the governorship by the Democrats. So the Republicans win the governorship, the gubernatorial race in Virginia. What people notice is this massive swing in the suburbs on the part of white voters, especially white women, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, this is a big story, but I, I want to just tie it to CRT, okay? So if you go to and look at like Virginia suburbs, like Loudoun County and other places. The CRT hysteria has been s- saturating in those places. What does CRT do, right? CR- the, the, the CRT fear brings all those like fears about the devil worshipers and and QAnon and the border and like illegal immigrants. And it brings them right to your kid's school and says that your kid today is being taught that they're evil just by existing. Does that sit right with you? I didn't think so. So let's go to the PTA meeting, get your sign, and let's protest. Let's make this happen, okay? It brings the, the fear of the border and QAnon and all that right to your kid's school today, right in front of you, right? And all of a sudden you're that suburban mom who got conscripted into this situation where people are telling you that when your kid goes to school and they're white, they're gonna just be taught that they're evil, they should be ashamed of themselves, and they have no right to speak. Okay, so here we are. CRT is a great way to a put racism in a bucket that where it's not called just racism, and b motivate people through an overwhelming fear about the safety and well-being of their children. And all of a sudden, right, you've got white voters in the suburbs who just uh, a, a year ago were like, we cannot stomach Trump anymore. We cannot stomach any more of this chaos. Being willing to, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe maybe this one Juncan <laughs> guy's got a good point. He's Trumpian, he's not Trump, he doesn't do the lambastic name-calling, and his whole campaign is about anti-critical race theory, even though it doesn't exist, uh in, in terms That's, of I the curriculum. Yeah, yeah, even even though it's not being taught in schools like at all in the way they're saying, what you get is the motivating fear. You can bring that right to the living room that you're talking about. Evangelical or not, the suburban parents, right, are are just like constricted into a movement of paranoia and rage. And here we go. Right. We're off to the races uh, with more Trumpian politics, even if Trump himself is not present.
0: And that's what a lot of people feared about a Trump presidency is, uh, you know, policy wonks or or people um, throw around terms like the Overton window. But that just means taking what used to be a previously extreme belief and making it extremely commonplace and accept it. Um, and that's what, that's what we're seeing within these, these situations, whether it's in national politics, local politics. Um, and it is this multi... <laughs> I, I'm, I can't think of the right word. It's, it's a multi-pronged approach. Like, it's not, they're not fighting on one single, one single level and one single way. Um, And they're, they're effective. Nonetheless, um, I actually want to sort of round out this, this conversation um, with something that I'm actually borrowing from your show. Uh, You actually have a a recurring segment on your show that you call Reasons for Hope. Uh, It's also part of your uh, Discord server that's part of um, of your Patreon uh, Patreon features uh, is that your that your uh, supporters are able to provide some of their own. Um, so I'm curious in this sort of moment after uh, after seeing some of these these recent losses as well as uh, some wins, like you mentioned in Boston, um, your sort of read on on how we're now talking about politics today how we're talking about white evangelical um involvement in it i mean i'm i know personally i'm still uh sort of unpacking and and trying to think back about what that white evangelical support enabled not just in 2016 but everything that led to 2016 the entire trump uh trump administration uh but i'm curious uh just what you're looking at what because you you are the most active (laughs) podcaster uh you you crank out uh great content all the time um
1: when you're full of hot air uh (laughs) you just it's got to go somewhere (laughs) well and my wife's pretty tired of it she's pretty tired of it so she's (laughs) like just go upstairs and turn the mic on please (laughs) (laughs)
0: i told you this one was a little loose and brad bradley just threw me off a little bit so
1: well okay Uh, reasons for hope you ready yes let me give you let let me give you some reasons for hope i think local politics is not completely dominated by uh the right so durham north carolina just uh, elects right uh, a black woman to be mayor um as i mentioned right boston michelle Wu is elected uh mayor uh you have um uh a uh, measure you know Alexandria ocasio cortez was was tweeting today about um uh about progressive measures passing in new york city so there are things on the ground that are happening and i think this goes to what we've been talking about today blake is those things matter right that mm-hmm. lo- lo- local uh local politics matters in a big way um and so it's not all bad news on that front there is there is good things happening uh across the board there so I think that's number one. Number two, I'll bring this back to just the heart of the, of this show, and something that obviously you started, and that's the hashtag exvangelical, Is you know you you know more than anyone, uh, and you've written about this, you've talked about it. Um, how scared the evangelical establishment is of the evangelical movement in the moment, because um, they are getting pushback, they are uh, seeing young people leave. Um, you know. I, If people know my story, I I was a youth minister in California, Southern California, and the amount of kids who used to be in my youth group who email me today and are like, hey, Onisha, you know, it's been a long time. Uh, I was in your youth group in like, you know, 2002. And um, Mm -hmm. I I deconstructed two years ago, right? Because I couldn't stand what was happening with the Trumpian takeover of my church. I just think that's happening. And it, it has put evangelical establishment types on their heels in a way that they're, they're a little bit unnerved. They're a little bit frightened. And so is there a chance there to make inroads and to sort of poke holes in that seemingly impenetrable fortress of evangelical hegemony that then feeds into and helps create something like the MAGA movement? I think there is, right? Um, so on the evangelical front, I think there's hope. On the local politics front, I think there's hope. I still think there's hope in terms of Biden um, being willing to listen to progressive voices, whether or not uh, we can get around the filibuster and do things like provide uh, and ensure voting rights uh, on a federal level um, and uh, other things that need to happen, I don't know. but those progressive fights on on the on the ground uh, are continuing and um, I don't want people to sort of uh, see a kind of fatalism there. Um, mm-hmm. Those fights are worth fighting, and th- th- they—they are, are—they are being won, and yeah. that—that's politically, and that's that's sort of religiously too. So uh, anyway, that's where I turn for hope. Right,
0: and I, I think I—I I definitely agree with 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 the things you've said. I—I um, I think there are. It's not like everything's rosy, um, you know. We've over seven hundred thousand people in this country have passed away from the pandemic, and and there's lots of injustice in this country. Um, and it feels insurmountable at times. And there are things that are really, really huge and really difficult to, to tackle. Um, you know, whether it's like, uh, have it, it's like pick your existential crisis, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whichever one you want to have. Is it that, is it the, is it capitalism or how, fragile democracy is or the climate like there, uh and racial injustice like there are all these things um but it is helpful to know that there are other people that are also working um working to um to combat them in whatever way they're able um and to do whatever part they are equipped to do that. That's dangerously close to, well, <laughs> to some vocational language, but no. you know what I mean? I mean, part of it's, you, you can take the, you you can take the kid out of youth group, but
1: <laughs> well, I would just say, you know what I would just say too, is like, and, and I think a lot of folks out there know this, right? I, like I can, I can do scroll Twitter all night and I've done it many nights and I can be overwhelmed and I can, I can be overwhelmed on all the fronts you just mentioned, right? Racial injustice Uh, and and travesty, the the seemingly imminent uh, economic um, collapse, the seemingly imminent environmental collapse, blah, 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 we can go on and on and on, okay? I would just say, friends, pick one thing. Like, what is the thing that you can fight for, right? What is the thing you can do? And yes, it means you can't do everything, and you're gonna have to trust that there's other people fighting other fronts and, and contributing in other ways, and you'll keep tabs on them, and you'll support them, and you'll help them. What's your thing? What is your yep. thing? Is it, is it one election, one campaign, one issue? What is it? And just go for it. Right. That's mm. what's the one thing you can do now is what I would say. And, yep. and because, because you can get, you can get totally paralyzed by the hundred fronts that you could fight on. And then you're not doing anything, but doom scrolling under your blanket with, and we've all been there. Right. And so if I, if there's anything to leave anybody with today, it's just pick a thing yeah, and go for it. Yep. Yeah
0: uh 100 like that's the that's the other benefit of staying in a lane is that someone else is choosing a different one and (laughs) you can just put your put your foot down on that pedal and and go as fast as you can yep or don't burn out and just go go and ecologically safe <laughs> <laughs> just just I'm but, murdering this metaphor
1: well but just you know <laughs> but pick a lane and just do one thing like have you have you all ever been in a situation where you're trying to do so many things like I mean, come on i mean we have a newborn and like The amount of nights where I'm like trying to make a bottle and like feed the dog and like, you know, not trip over the 19 things that are on the ground and (laughs) wash the dishes and like not wake up my partner who's like sleeping for the first time and you know how long and it just everything falls apart right and I guess my point with that is like, you can sit here and try and do everything and save the world, or you can pick a lane. Join others in that lane and make progress. See how far you can get, and trust that everyone else around you is gonna is gonna make progress in other ways. Yep. yeah,
0: I love that. That's a great great note to close on. Brad, thanks for talking to me. Um, where can people find your work? Um, whatever you want to mention, please uh, sure. mention it now. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? I know I know you have a ticking clock. I I actually don't have a ticking clock tonight. So
1: <laughs> I'm trying I, to get uh,
0: you get you out by the time you need to
1: be no, next no. thing. No no I I uh, <laughs> I uh, thank you for letting me expend the hot air uh, that is always inside of me today Blake. Um, <laughs> uh, you can always find me at Straightway JC uh, uh, TikTok Instagram mainly on Twitter honestly. I'm at Bradley Onishi on Twitter. Um, so we you know we we publish Straightway JC a couple times a week. Um, I'm writing a book for Broadleaf Books on the history of white Christian nationalism, so that'll be out um, in, in a, a little while here. Um, and otherwise, um, straightwhiteamericanjesus.com has all our info. Uh, we have a seminar coming up if people would like to sign up, and that's in, that's in January. So if you'd like to jump into a community with other folks, check that out too. Thank you so
0: much, Brad. And everybody, please check out um, Brad and Dan's work over at uh, over at the domains that that Brad just mentioned, and I'll also include them in the show notes. Thanks for joining me again. Thanks for having me, Blake. Appreciate it.